not enjoy being away. And, uh, I mean, it was a blessing there, but I sure miss being here, and I'm glad to be back tonight. So we're on our way out of town, and my, uh, some of you know, my uh, <coughs> wife smashed her finger in the car door, and uh, that was a pretty, pretty fun uh, time watching that thing get to pretty ugly. I uh, was privileged to serve her hand and foot and help her put her shoes on and socks and those things. And so I was very grateful to be able to do all that. Not much different than normal, but you know, it was good, good to be a, a help there. All uh, right, Philippians 4. We are looking at uh, a couple of weeks here away from feeding the firemen, and so if you want to help with that, please let me know. Uh, we always want to make that a, a big deal for them. It's a great outreach for us. So, Philippians 4, uh, we looked last time at that great verse, the one we know so well, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am wherewith to be content. Uh, there's, uh, there never was a student that graduated any university with such a diploma as that right there. Uh, never is there penned a greater evidence or proof of learning than that verse right there. I have learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul had learned to live in complete detachment of his from his circumstances. Uh, in Romans 12, 2, he said that God's will is perfect and it is good. Uh, we talked about, I'm just doing a little review from last uh, time we met, but if you remember those two, and we're easily to accept those two, I don't think it's hard for us to accept that, that God's will is good. It's not hard for us to accept that God's will is perfect. He's God. But that other one he uses, acceptable, that's the hard part for us, isn't it? Uh, we know it's good, at, but sometimes it's hard for us to accept it. And Paul was able to accept it. So uh, he, he uh, has said that he had learned to be content. Paul's contentment was a result of an inside sufficiency. It was not uh, based on his circumstances. Uh, they did not make the call. You will either uh, control your attitude or you will allow the circumstances of your life to control your attitude. And that's a choice we have to make every day. And uh, I, I had to make it uh, yesterday morning. I was on the phone with Dell Computer. In all of your life, if you can possibly avoid calling the help desk of Dell Computer, I'd encourage you to do it. Uh, but I was stuck there. I had, had to get some help and, and uh, frustrating. So uh, circumstances, they can change your attitude really quickly. Uh, we we got to control that, though. Uh, we are to be the one in charge of that uh, with the Holy Spirit's help, not our circumstances. Uh, that which makes us happy and content, that absolutely must be on the inside, not on the outside. Uh, real contentment never comes from what you have. It never comes from your situation. It's always going to come from what's in here. We find Paul penning those words in a dark, dank prison, uh, the Mamertine prison. Uh, he did not talk about where he was when he picked up his pen. He did not talk about what condition he was in. He didn't talk about the unfairness of it all, which it was all true. He wrote down, whatsoever state I am there was to be content. What a, an amazing, profoundly convicting statement for all of us because uh, we certainly, most of us don't suffer like Paul did and yet we have a hard time with contentment. So how did Paul get there? 
uh, and I'm just uh, reviewing through, through here very quickly before we get into tonight's, but knowing the Savior, we have to go back a, a chapter for that, chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. One way Paul was able to say, I am content no matter where I am, is because he knew the Savior, that I may know him. It's, it's vital for us to have that relationship. And then also living for others. Therefore, my brethren, he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. No man or woman, for that matter, no one, no Christian is happy that lives unto themselves. It's just not going to happen. Self, the self-lived or self-focused life is going to be one of misery. Now, tonight I want to focus on Paul's pursuit. He's already told us that he was content. But I believe one of the reasons he could say he was content, if we can see one of the reasons in what he lived for, what his pursuit was in his life. And that's what I want to focus on this evening. Look with me at verse number 10, chapter 4. The Bible says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, when you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Now that I speak in not that I speak in respect of one, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And then in verse twelve, I know both how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Uh, verse 15, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again to my necessity. Uh, verse 17, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Father, tonight I pray you'd help us as we look at Paul's pursuit, and may it be ours as well. pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, look here, at, uh, we start with Paul's acceptance, verse number 12. He says, I know both how to be abased and how to abound everywhere and in all things am instructed to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now the word for abased there, uh, literally, the original word literally means to bring low. It's used elsewhere in the Greek language to describe a river that is in uh, the middle of a drought. So in other words, Paul says here, I know how to run low. I know how to be depleted. Most of us know what it is to be abased. I don't know. Maybe your life was a lot better than mine was starting out, but uh, many of us, if not all of us in here, at one time or other have probably been at the bottom when it comes to financially or just having stuff or whatever the case might be. And I, I mean... We can just go there, being financially broke. I mean, uh, many of us know what that's like. We've been there before. Broke is a charismatic at an auction, if you know what I mean. So uh, just think about that just for a little bit, and you'll know why he's broke. But uh, you, you, we, we've been there. We know what it is like to be a base. Pressing bills, not enough money to pay the bills, making choices to feed the kids or to buy clothes or to buy medicine. You've got to choose one of those things. One of those things has to go on the back burner. Uh, I've been there. We've had those times in our life. Uh, maybe you've been to the place where uh, that if your car broke down, you'd be at the point of financial collapse. You'd be in financial ruin. I mean, everything just depends on 
things going smoothly. We, we've probably experienced being there, uh, learning what it's like to be at the bottom, but that's not what Paul says here. He does not say, I have been abased. He says, I know how to be abased. Uh, in other words, we know what it's like to run low, but have we learned how to run low? Have we learned how to be abased? Uh, how do we act when we are, when we do have nothing? Uh, that, there's a, there, that's, that's important for us because we may be there again, you know. We don't know. I mean, there's a lot of people in great uh, condition financially before the Great Depression in the 1930s, and then everything fell, the bottom fell out. So we don't know. We have no promise of, of tomorrow. Then there's another side to the coin. He says, I know how to abound. Uh, this is crucial, and maybe we've been at this point in our life, too. Uh, the, that's the, by the way, that's the greatest thing about getting older, <laughs> is to be able to... Uh, you know, as you get older, if you if you work hard and you don't, you know, you don't build up a ton of debt, uh, things get a little easier. You know, you can afford to fix the car or go out to eat or something like that. I would not want to go back to my early 20s. That's just a just a, an observation. But uh, th I know how to abound. Now, what do we do here? Now, the, now a different point in life, bills are paid. We actually have money left at the end of the month. Uh, God's blessing. There's not the struggle that it, uh, you once had. And praise God for these times, but there's a danger there. You know, you can tell a lot about a man on how he handles adversity, but I think you can tell a lot more in a man by how he handles prosperity. That's one of the things I love about Joseph. He did both. You look at Joseph's life. He performed admirably in adversity, and then he performed admirably in prosperity. You know who didn't? Solomon. Solomon became richest man in the world, and he went after other gods and, and betrayed the real, uh, the true God. Uh, a lot of people they don't they don't uh, respond well to prosperity. It can often be the ruin of a person. Uh, I, I read this week about William Post. He had two dollars and forty six cents in the bank in his bank account when, in 1988, he won sixteen point two million dollars in the Pennsylvania lottery. His life started to fall apart as soon as he received his first annual payment. He went on an insane shopping spree. Uh, he bought a used car lot. Not a used car, a used car lot. He bought a restaurant. Uh, he uh, even bought an airplane. Uh, in three months, he was $500,000 in debt. In one year, he was over a million dollars in debt. He was tricked into bad business investments. He got hoodwinked by his own landlady into giving her a third of his money. Uh, his brother was arrested for plotting to kill him, and his sixth wife tried to hire a hitman to kill him. This is what William Post said. Everybody dreams of winning money, but nobody realizes the nightmare that comes out of the woodwork or the problems. I was much happier when I was broke. I'm convinced that many people can tolerate abasement that cannot tolerate abounding and vice versa. There's people that can't. Paul, this is, a, this is I just don't want to skip over this part. This is a big statement to make. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. That's a big statement for somebody to make. It's a, it, 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 it really speaks of us a real true trust in God. If we can praise God when we're broken, we can praise God when we're flush. All right, that's a, that's a big thing for us to be able to say. In fact, I wonder how many of us are successful in the abounding 
because of the abasing. Maybe that would help, wouldn't it, as we uh, go through that uh, hard part of life. We've got to learn that happiness is not tied up in our stuff. W.H. Vanderbilt, he was the Bill Gates of the, 19, or the 1800s. He said, the care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. There's no pleasure in it. John Jacob Astor was one of the richest people in the world. He died on the Titanic. He said, I'm the most miserable person on earth. This was before he got on the Titanic. But after that, it was even worse. But John D. Rockefeller, I've made millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Henry Ford, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. Money can do lots of things, but it cannot buy happiness. And when Paul, it says uh, here, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. He's, it's, it's a reflection of the verse before uh, when he says, I've learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. So uh, he was content no matter, his life might have been doing this, but his contentment just stayed just stayed on level, stayed straight. That is some serious spiritual maturity right there, that I hope to attain as well. It's important to know how to abound. I, I'm really convinced, just, I don't remember who I was talking about this recently, but I'm convinced that God gives us only what we can handle. Only the resources that we can handle. Uh, I I don't. <laughs> I, I love the the conversation getting with people uh, when they start talking about lottery and uh, what they would do if they win the lottery. What people say they would do when they win the lottery and what they would actually do if they win the lottery—they're not even connected. All right? They have all these grand plans, but look at the history of people who won. Oh, and I've heard people tell me this and trying to. Uh, excuse their buying of tickets. Oh, well, I would give half of it to the church. I would do this. I would do that. And it usually ends up with them only keeping about $10. They would do this, all this other stuff. Uh, really happens is they often go insane when they actually win. And I'm trusting God that he probably knows what I would do with a million dollars and therefore doesn't give me that. You know what I'm saying? So that's what we have to trust him. Uh, I think God gives us what we can handle. And uh, we need to just be found faithful in it. So what we have is what God wants us to have. I really believe that. I believe it as we uh, honor God with more. And that's why I see some uh, great men of God and great Christians who have much, much more than I do. And praise God for that. That's wonderful. Uh, God can trust them with that uh, even more than he can me. Uh, but what we have is what God wants us to have. The question is, can we face poverty without panicking? Can we face sickness or rejection or disappointment without discouragement? Can we face prosperity without pride? Can we face su success and applause without it going to our heads? That's what Paul's saying in this verse. I know how to be abased. That doesn't discourage me. I'm content. I know how to abound. So there were times that Paul had much and there were times that Paul had nothing. But in all of that, he was content. Can we say that? say that in our life because uh, it's important, very important. Many have suffered defeat to life's adversities because we never learned how to handle them. At the same time, many people fail in the face of prosperity because the success goes to their heads. And again, I mentioned Joseph. He's a classic example of this uh, in his life. Uh, but the secret of Joseph's success was that both in being a base and both in abounding he had faith in God. He was found faithful. Uh, Joseph learned how to face both a cross and a crown, and he was a shining example 
uh, to every one of us. So what's the answer for us? Proverbs 30, verse 8 through 9. I love these verses. I think of these often. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of the Lord my God in vain. Now, isn't that a great attitude? Give me food that's convenient for me. I think that's a perfect picture of content. You know, I don't have to be rich, Lord. I'd rather not be poor. I mean, that's what uh, even he says here in Proverbs, and I agree with him. It's no fun being uh, completely broke either. I don't want to be so poor I have to steal to eat, he said. I don't want to be so rich I forget God. Just give me what's convenient for me. And that should be our prayer. Now, in the New Testament, we see the life of Paul. Uh, in that no matter what situation he found himself in, he led a victorious Christian life. And uh, it, it really doesn't matter why. Paul didn't focus on the why, as in, why is this happening to me? You don't see him much. He asked the Lord to take a thorn away three times, but other than that, you never really see Paul complaining. Uh, the why didn't bother Paul. His interest was in learning how. Uh, Paul knew that the why is always going to be found in the all-knowing, will of God, sovereignty of God, he put his focus on how he was going to handle it. I think that's important for us. No, no matter where, he says, everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full, to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. This everywhere included prison. That's actually where Paul uh, wrote Philippians 4.11, not that I speak in want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am there with to be content. That was in prison when he wrote that. Uh, no matter what, uh, he was victorious, he says, in all things. That included his chains. That included his imprisonment. Uh, Paul was a man of action. He was, when Paul was free, man, he was everywhere. He traveled all over the world taking the gospel and starting churches. 64 churches, I read one place, uh, they think Paul started uh, all over the place. Imagine how maddening it was for Paul to be imprisoned. But even then, I don't think he'd have been able to keep encouraged in the Lord and to be content if he had not uh, learned that in his life. Kept on going. So that begs the question for us, what does it take to stop you? What does it take to discourage you? What does it take to make you discontent? We, we can't allow circumstances to do that for us. Secondly here, look at Paul's secret. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. How could Paul be content whether full or hungry? The secret is right there. Through Christ which strengthened me. Here's an interesting thing. The word for strengthen, the original word, is endumino. It means to endue with strength. Paul's strengthening... Uh, by the way, it began early in his Christian life, just after he was saved in Acts chapter 9, verse 19. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were in Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogue, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard uh, him were amazed, but Saul increased the more in strength, and Dumino, that same word, and confounded the Jews which dwelt in Damascus. So the testimony was true at both ends of Paul's life. In the beginning of Paul, right after he got saved, Christ is strengthening him. At the end of Paul's life in prison, uh, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. We need it at the beginning, we need it in the middle, and we need it in the end of our Christian life. We've got to have it all the time. The key to our ability is, is uh, Christ. Jesus faced all the troubles that life can offer, yet he always trusted God uh, uh, implicitly. He talks about his financial needs. Now sometimes when 
funds dried up, Paul went to work. The Bible talks about in Acts chapter 18 how Paul made tents. He joined to someone who that was his profession. He was able to do that. Paul was a tent maker, so he had a secular job, but uh, the, the, he didn't let that stop his soul winning activities. In fact, if you read that passage, it tells you that while he was building tents, he was also giving the gospel to people. And I love that, how people, uh, you know, our job is our ministry. We ought to treat it as such. It thrills me when people bring co-workers to church. I mean, this happened several times just recently. People work with somebody. In fact, one guy told me he's, there's a guy at church driving him nuts. So, or at work, driving him nuts. We brought him to church. I thought it was a great, great thing to do. You either shoot him or you bring him to church. I mean, second, second one's better. So, uh, but Paul, after he left Philippi in Macedonia, his ministry didn't allow him time for secular work. And uh, now... What to do now? Well, Paul was not one to beg for money, and so most scholars tell us that for a long time there, he, he fasted. He chose to go hungry. Uh, but he was certainly glad, as he says here in the Philippian aid, came to him when he did. Now look at verse 17, and I'm getting to Paul's pursuit here. He says in verse 17, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul was not the kind to dwell on physical riches. Now, he was glad for the help because nobody, I don't care how spiritual you are, no one likes to fast. Do you? I mean, I have to fast. I fast every day between breakfast and lunch and then again between lunch and supper. And that's hard enough, you know. And uh, if, I, if I fast for more than a couple of meals, I don't like it. I don't, my body certainly doesn't like it. Uh, but he was, he was glad for the help, but he was even more glad here for... For on their behalf, spiritually, they were laying up treasure in heaven. So he says, if you want treasure in heaven, uh, he, he said, not that I desire a gift, but that I desire fruit that they may abound to your account. By the way, this account was not at the First National Bank of Philippi. This was heaven he's talking about here. And if you want to lay up treasure in heaven, give some money to someone who's going there. <laughs> uh, that's how we can lay up treasure in heaven. Uh, so it begs the question again, what do we do what we do for? Uh, who do we do what we do for? What, why do we do what we do in the Christian life? Why do you seek after friends? What makes you be kind to other people? What makes you do good to other people? Do you have compassion or are you after uh, your own personal benefit? Now Paul makes it very clear. He does not focus on his own needs. He's grateful to have them, but really he's more glad for the fact that they are laying up treasure in heaven than he is that his own needs are being met. That's, again, real spiritual maturity there. Kindness is like lighting another person's candle with yours. You lose none of your own, but you give them light, give them warmth. Uh, think of what Paul said to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 12, 14, Behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. <laughs> Can you imagine Paul being burdensome? He said, But for I seek not yours, but you. Love that phrase. I seek not yours, but you. Paul proved in that verse he had pure intentions. It never ceases to amaze me that someone, uh, even in the local church, will, you see people love each other, support each other, and encourage each other until one does something to upset the other. Then it's just all she wrote. It's just all over. And uh, this is not Paul saying here very clearly 
that I seek not yours, but you. In other words, what he's saying is, I'm not seeking what you can do for me. I'm seeking you. Now, now grasp that. That's huge because human nature, for most of us, we are not seeking you. We are seeking what you can offer me. So we go after people that are uh, where, where it's a mutually benef beneficial relationship. And there's nothing wrong with a mutually beneficial relationship, but we should not seek out showing the love of Christ to others only who can benefit me or, or uh, only what somebody can do for me. That's selfish. That's worldly. And Paul's saying, I seek not yours. I seek you. Now, my prayer is to encourage you to seek others and encourage myself that we seek others not for what they can do for us but for them that's what Paul did that was his pursuit others and he's not seeking what they can do for him often as we choose companions for our life whether it be friends or whatever the case might be we do so with how they can benefit us and uh, when they stop benefiting us then the friendship ends and that's again that's fleshly that's world that's not Christ-like love as soon as your focus turns on you, on yourself, and I've done it, you've done it too, so let's not all act like we're too holy for this. We've all done it. As soon as somebody, as my focus turns in on myself and what somebody did to me or what somebody said to me or what somebody did to hurt me, and my focus, if it's in here, there's going to be issues. It's, it's going to be issues. I'm going to get bitter. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to... I'm not going to be right with God the way I should be. The focus has got to be off me, and that's what Paul did. I don't seek, I don't seek yours. Yours is what you can give me. I don't seek what you can, what you can offer me. I'm seeking you. Man, that is true Christ-like love. Can you say that about the folks that you seek to minister to? I hope we can. Uh, we need to see that uh, and and live like that. You, not yours. Um, I saw a meme. Be nice to everybody in case someone you know gets rich. <laughs> That's not Christ-like love. That's not what we're talking about here. Uh, I chuckled when I saw it, but that's not what we're talking about here. We are, but yet isn't it sad that so many people today, and, and this is the world, it's just what the world is. This is a natural thing. People have friendships uh, to, and relationships for what they can get. Let's not be like that. Let's be like Paul was here. Seek you, you, not yours. Paul was investing in the lives of Corinthians, not for personal gain. He wanted to truly make a difference in their life. The same with the folks here at Philippi. He, 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 they met his need, but he says, I, I'm more glad that you're laying up treasure in heaven than, than even what you're doing to help me. When you set yourself aside and you live for others and you show the love of Christ to others, uh, that is when you're really going to make an impact for the Lord. James, I don't have time to go into it because we're running out of time. i got too much to go over still. But James chapter 2 talks about the fact of, of uh, how there comes in your assembly a man with a gold ring, goodly apparel. You know, we treat people differently that, that uh, come in in a nice suit, a big Bible, uh, rather than and those that come in and, and uh, look like maybe they're street people or whatever the case might be. We treat them differently. And James says, shame on us for that. Uh, you're becoming judges of evil thoughts, he said. Why do people do that, though? Why would a church do that? Because seeking yours, not you. Paul said, that's not what I'm doing. I'm seeking you, not yours. Now, just a couple of things happened. 
if we seek yours, not you, that'll cause us to be offended easily. You'll, be, you'll not be offended if we are doing what we do for Christ. Because Christ can never do anything to offend us. Does that make sense? So, if I'm serving you, uh, if I'm doing something for you, but I'm doing it for Christ, then I'm not going to get offended near as easily if something happens between you and me. Does that make sense? If we're doing it for Christ. Uh, one year, I, uh, as a youth pastor, and this was back in my abasement days, okay, so I didn't have any money back, back in this time at all. And, uh, but I had a young person I was working with, and I really wanted him to go to camp. So I, I paid for him to go to camp. It was $55 to go to winter camp overnight thing. And he was a bus kid and I paid for it. It was tough because I had to pay for three of my own kids to go. But I paid for it. And we get up there it's $55 of hard earned from the sweat of my brow difficult dollars. When we got there we went into the canteen and they saw they, this camp knows what they're doing. You have a teen overnight and they saw monsters. Man they were selling monsters charging like four bucks a piece for them making huge money. And uh, this kid pulls out 80 bucks and starts buying pop, candy, junk, and, and for his friends, buying for everybody. And, uh, you know, I wanted to wring his neck, just like you would, because I worked hard to sacrifice to pay for him. And then he brings 80 bucks to blow on junk food, and, I, and it just welled up inside me until I remembered, was I doing it for him? Was I doing it for God? See, that makes a whole lot of difference, doesn't it? Now, the Lord had to remind me of that. Uh, not if, if I'm doing it for him, yeah, I'm going to get offended. Little jerk. He had the money, wanted to spend it on junk food. If I'm doing it for him. If I'm doing it for God, is my reward the same whether or not the kid needs it? Absolutely. If I'm doing it for the Lord. But the, the key is I need to not be seeking his. I need to be seeking him. Does that make a difference? Does that, does that make sense? If I'm seeking yours as a pastor of this church I'm going to get offended often and easy if I'm seeking you see the difference there it's not not going to happen because I'm serving you okay hopefully that, that you're grasping what uh, I think is so important about that you'll not be offended if you seek you not yours seeking yours not you will cause discouragement if you do for others for personal gain you will be discouraged if you work hard, uh, I'll give you an example. When one of the things I had to learn early on in pastoring was uh, special meetings. Probably the quickest point of discouragement for a pastor is special meetings. Like, let's say you planned a missions conference. Something like that. Really easy to get discouraged. I mean, we hit the streets, we invited, we called, I emailed, I... And, you know, we advertised, as Patty, appreciate her help, we put it in the paper, we got all this work we put in, and then a snowstorm comes, and, and uh, it's real easy to get discouraged. I was talking to Brother Haynes, and we were driving from the airport in a raging blizzard, and uh, trying to get home, that's just like, I don't know what's going to happen, so, but we got to talking about it, who, who sent the weather? About that. Who's in control of the weather? So... If I'm going to get upset because somebody's not going to hear a message from the Word of God and God's the one that sends the snow, you know, you can follow the chain of thinking here. Uh, we, we, the best thing we can do is just trust God and let it go and be faithful. I appreciate those that were here. We had a good meeting. We went ahead with the game. But it's easy to be discouraged if we are doing it 
anyone or anything other than the Lord, it's easy to get discouraged. And seeking yours, not you, will cause discouragement. Uh, those that we pray for, those that we love on, those that we invest in, turn their back on us. What's, what do we do with that? Hey, that's happened to all of us in ministry. If you've been in church any amount of time or worked with kids or people any amount, I mean, that's happened. We work and we invest and we do all that we can and then somebody just turns their back on us. Well, I can tell you what's going to happen. Number one, you're either going to get really discouraged or number two, if you're doing it for God in the first place, then we're much easier we can let that go. It's the Lord. You know, we do what we can, but ultimately it's, it's, it's God we're doing it for. So the question I ask, who do you do what you do for? That's a really, really important question. Who do you do it for? What your service, whatever, you're do, whatever you do for the cause of Christ, who do you do it for? If you hand out a gospel tract and somebody rips it up and cusses at you and throws it in the trash, that's happened to me before. Gonna get mad? If you're doing it for him, you will. <laughs> if you're doing it for him, see the difference? It makes a big, big difference. That's what Paul says. Number three, and I'll close with this, seeking you, not yours, will give you a burden. There's nothing, let's the friend, there's nothing like the moment you decide that you will do for others and expect nothing in return. There's, there's such fun, so much liberty in that. If we just decide we're going to just love and expect nothing in return. Philippians 2 goes on to say this in uh, verses 5 and 7. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal of God, but made himself with no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, who was made in the likeness of men. I have to remind myself often that my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, left the splendor of heaven, was put into a human body, suffered human pain, uh, shame, and uh, rejection, and loneliness, and all of left the splendor of heaven for that, and then I'm going to get offended and I'm going to get worried about something a little bad that happens to me by something. I mean, think about it. We, we have to remind ourselves what Jesus Christ did. And here he was made in the likes of men, took on him the form of a servant. By the way, why did he do this? The answer is found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That's out of love. He did it while we were yet sinners. So Christ had that kind of love, the love that gave, expecting nothing in return. Do you think, my friend, that Christ sought yours or you? He sought you. He didn't seek yours. He can't do anything for God anyway. You know, I mean, if he owns all, but, but uh, you get my point. He, he went after you. Let us then do the same thing. Once you seek you, not yours, you'll develop a burden. Paul had long since learned to trust God to supply all he needed. Now he says, I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Even getting the missionary check they sent him, even getting the funds. He's, he's, I mean, his, you see in scripture, his first reaction is not, I can eat, finally. Perkins, here I come. No, his first thing is, man, now their, their account in heaven that's something uh, the, the pursuit he had. Paul's pursuit was one of people, not personal gain. And I believe that's where we find this content. 
How could he be content? He was content because all of his, all of his sustenance, all of his uh, encouragement, all of his labor, everything was for the Lord, from the Lord. And that's how he could be uh, content. It'd be a great thing if we could learn this. And believe me, it's not something I've mastered. It's something I continue to work on. But I think that all of us could, could probably admit to needing some improvement in this area. Uh, especially as we serve others. Because it's very hard to serve fellow believers. You know that poem, oh, uh, to live up above with the ones that we love, oh, that will be glory. To live down below with the ones that we know, now that's a different story. Uh, you know, living down here amongst imperfect Christians, all right, we're going to have conflicts, not issues. But if we, if we could get this one thing through our hearts and our actions the way that Paul did, seeking you, you, not yours, not seeking what you can do for you, just seeking you. Make a difference. Father, we thank you for loving us.